quite simple, really. You just need to show you some film. You mean like going to the pictures? Something like that. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another wonderful episode. This is episode five. I'm Mitch. And this is Stefan, and this is Drag Mitch to Hell, the show where I try to inundate Mitch with genre movies that he would presumably hate, but I in fact love. And today we are joined by Yovana. What up, partners? (laughs) (laughs) I was telling Mitch before you joined Yovana that as I was doing the synopsis, I realized I was labeling one of the characters as another person because they're so poorly defined. Yep. Yeah. Like I fucking had no idea. Uh, Also, I think doing the synopsis ruined my love for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. um, I can't wait to talk about it. Oh my God. I'm going to, yeah, I think before we like, either before or after the synopsis, we'll get another beer because this is going to be fucking ridiculous. Sounds good. Uh, Today we are going to be kind of enjoying (laughs) Malibu Express from 1985. But first let's talk about what we've been watching. Mitch, why don't you start us off? Um, what have I been watching? I've been re-watching. I think I've, the last time I was re-watching, but still on the same kick of just going through watching some some films that I haven't watched in a while. Rewatched Upgrade recently. Uh, what is it? The Lee One L. Is that who directed yeah, it? That, that's, that's who directed. It. Yeah, I, yes. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan. I enjoyed it just as much the second time around. Uh, yeah, just a just a lot of fun. You know, I love uh, a good dark. Uh, very violent uh, sort of revenge movie. And this hits on all the right notes for me. So I was, I've quite enjoyed rewatching that. Yeah, the guy looks exactly like Tom Hardy in it too. Yes, I often <laughs> refer to him as Discount Tom Hardy. Discount Tom Hardy. <laughs> but, he, <laughs> but no, he, I mean, he's a very handsome guy. He's a good actor. He's really great in the movie too. I think he does a great job. Yeah, I also, he's in The Invitation in Karen Kusama's movie. And I really like that as well. Yeah, me too. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, yeah, so not uh, not a lot else. Watching, uh, start watching Shit's Creek. I figured I should get on the uh, the show that everybody else has has already been on board with, uh, and I'm enjoying that too. Have you guys watched it? I have. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching it. I think I'm on like season three, and it's really heartwarming. It's not like my favorite show, but I find myself laughing and I find myself feeling delighted by uh, you know the small town character set. So yeah, thumbs up for Shit's Creek. Definitely, definitely been enjoying that uh, as well. I, I'm glad that it sort of hit the the mainstream a little bit more because, it, admittedly, when it the first couple of seasons came out, I think it was on CBC, and I was just kind of like, ah, this probably isn't very good. Um, not to disparage Canadian content, but uh, but yeah, just didn't uh, didn't look like my thing. But I'm definitely enjoying it, so I'm glad that uh, it got a lot of attention in the later seasons it's fair to say can is like a red flag sometimes <laughs> honestly uh, before you stop uh listing off what you've watched i do have to point out that we've both now watched synchronic dun, dun, yes dun. yes and you had made a, an interesting comment uh about uh the movie to me uh without really revealing anything about your your feelings on it so i'm very curious to hear what your final thoughts are on this movie. 
I don't know if it's good or terrible. It was my comment. Yes. Uh, so, Yvanna, this is a movie about uh, these paramedics who begin to respond to calls, and a lot of them are under like deaths due to very, very odd circumstances due to the consumption of uh, bas- basically uh, a, a designer drug called Synchronic, which allows somebody to uh, experience uh, time travel. Um, basically, through the movie, all of the rules are kind of established where, um, you know, depending on where you are when you take the drug will ultimately influence where you go in time. And uh, basically, uh, Jamie Dornan, who's in it, uh, his daughter disappears after taking this drug. Uh, and then his best friend slash other paramedic, um, Anthony Mackie, opts to basically start taking the drug and jump t- in different areas to try to find wherever she's gone in time. And that's oh kind of like the conceit for the film. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so when it started off, I was like, oh, the music is great. Uh, it's shot really, really well. Whether or not they had added like film grain and post or it was actually shot on film, I couldn't tell the difference. I, I thought it was like very, very dreamy. Um, but then... <laughs> there's something about the aesthetics like so wait tell me if, is this something you enjoyed or is this something you're about to rag on i can't tell from I your description no it's a I, thumbs up or a thumbs I down i don't know uh you don't know yeah uh, i have to watch it again mitch what are your what, are, what were your thoughts on it so i give it a thumbs up i enjoyed the movie but i like in describing it after i watched it to my roommate i was like this movie sounds so dumb in the way that i'm like you know describing sort of the the conceit of the plot and how things work it's like but i thought that it despite sort of being a a goofy premise and sort of goofy rules around how all of this works i still found myself enjoying the movie um yeah i don't know there's something that's sort of off about it like that i don't i can't put my finger on i do like anthony mackie uh, a lot uh jamie dornan is, is fine like i don't I'm not super familiar with his work um yeah i don't know like i i enjoyed the movie i don't think it's a fantastic movie by any means uh but i thought it was entertaining i'd give it a thumbs up uh, jamie dornan was the best in that uh i don't know if it was irish or scottish but he played a serial killer uh on a season of a show and he is probably the the most equipped to play that role where he feels very like superficial uh i don't know like it, he's like a like a shark or something. He has like very, very dead eyes. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's like his acting <laughs> performance. I don't know. It really is. Yeah. And and for the horny housewives listening to us, Jamie Dornan is Christian Grey in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Oh, very valid. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Where he also has dead eyes, which is the, <laughs> it's his thing. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'll rewatch it and we can, we can talk about it again. Maybe. I have no idea. I don't know if I'll watch it again. Uh, you really don't have to. <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe it's a, a, a it's a thumb sideways. Uh, <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah. Uh, have, did you did you watch anything else? I didn't want to commandeer your 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 weekly roundup. Oh no, that uh, I think that that's yeah plenty from from my end. I'm curious to hear about what you guys have been watching. Yeah, why don't you uh, uh, take us away, Ivana? Sure. Uh, a couple things. I've been watching Search Party, the uh, show on Crave about the young millennial hipsters who are a little bit vapid in 
uh, New York City and their friend goes missing and they go on this kind of crazy adventure to try to hunt her down and solve the mystery of her disappearance. Um, I don't have you either of you guys seen it? I've watched the trailer and it looked good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I will just say that I am already, even before having watched Search Party, I am the world's biggest John Early fan. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He's a young, blonde, uh, very um, effervescent and energetic young comedian. He does a lot of impressions. He does a lot of um, work with Kate Berlant, who is also a funny lady, but I'm just like the world's number one John Early stan, and he is one of the primary cast members in Search Party, and I just think he's an absolute gem. Anytime he's on screen, he's a scene stealer, he's like just the most compelling, vapid, vacuous, uh, you know, sociopathic character with zero morals, and he's so good at playing it. It's just really, really entertaining. So strong recommend for Search Party. I'm only on like episode nine or ten. I think there's five seasons, so I got a long way to go, but sweet. I'm really, really enjoying that. Yeah. And what else? Uh, the other thing I watched recently was that documentary Free Solo, which was from a couple years ago. It was nominated for an Oscar, I think, and it's a documentary about this uh, rock climber who wants to climb the face of this massive rock uh what's called free climbing which means without a harness and a rope um like you just you just climb it just by yourself and um it's an interesting film because i think the protagonist the guy uh is a bit of an unsympathetic character like he's got some kind of he's got have you have either of you guys seen this i have yeah oh you have yes I, i watched it yeah, so he's a bit of an unsympathetic character. I don't know if you'd agree, but that's how I felt. Um, so I was a bit perplexed and conflicted because I was like, I don't know if I like this guy. But, and I also don't know if I support his initiative to climb a giant rock with no ropes, but hey, it's your funeral, right? Um, but I will say that it was a beautiful film. It's produced by National Geographic, and obviously the aerial shots uh, of mountains are just, like, stunning and amazing. And, you know, I even watched it at home on my TV. I mean, I have a pretty big TV. I mean, not to brag, but I have a pretty big TV. <laughs> and Wait, is it bigger times... than Stefan's? Because Stefan <laughs> oh has a very large TV. <laughs> Leave my um, television yeah. alone. <laughs> there was times where I felt, like, a bit dizzy and a bit scared and, like, was white-knuckling it through these, like, rock-climbing scenes with no safety net. So... It's pretty good. I recommend it. Yeah, I definitely anyway, enjoyed that's, uh, that's yeah. Free Solo as well. And I would agree that I think his name's Alex Honnold, the the rock climber. Right. Uh, definitely not a, a very sympathetic character. Um, but it is, it's interesting because I think in the movie they did um, some sort of like brain scans or, you know, something in, in terms of his ability to to feel like fear or certain things and you know just That's the, right. the way that he's like hardwired is essentially like well you don't basically process fear the same way that like most other people do um so definitely some some things going on there in his brain that just make yeah. him different than yeah than everyone yeah. else yeah but, uh, yeah definitely scary uh, at times and it's interesting i think to see the perspective of the the filmmakers as well because you know they talk about basically like yeah this is obviously something that's interesting and very exciting but this is their friend who if they're filming make one wrong move then he's dead you know then you're watching him fall to his death um so i can't imagine being in that position either yeah yeah really interesting it's a very it's a very interesting ethical conundrum about 
uh, documentary filmmaking, which is like if you put yourself in the position as a filmmaker of, you know, witnessing somebody voluntarily plummet to their death. What's what's your relationship with that event? And do you really want to be present for that? And do you want to be recording that and all these kinds of questions? So, yeah, super interesting. Smith and Jones level stuff. Mm. Cool. What about you, Stefan? What have you been watching lately? Uh, from the wonderful picture presented my, by my 27 inch insignia television, uh, <laughs> I, I, Damn. uh, yeah, uh, I have a, I don't like to brag either, but uh, I also have a large television guys. <laughs> um, but I, I, I talked about Ronnie Asher's glitch in the matrix on our last episode and I finally watched it and I have like, like a lukewarm thumbs up, like, uh, Obviously, he, he did Room 237, which I enjoyed a lot. It's about uh, a lot of different theories as to any, like the hidden messaging that uh, isn't, but could be in, uh, in, you know, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, oh, yeah, also, I saw that. I saw yeah, that. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Um, and then he also did a movie called The Nightmare about sleep paralysis, and that I didn't enjoy as much because I thought the they try to do kind of like the basically everybody who has or a lot of people who have sleep paralysis uh, basically recall like a dark figure kind of like pressing down on you. Uh, so he chooses to do some recreations and it looks pretty not great in my opinion. So the, the nightmare kind of suffers from its recreations. And so that would be probably like, you know, uh, the bottom of my Rodney Asher list and the glitch in the matrix kind of like sits right in between both of those movies. Uh, so it's about simulation theory. And he basically talks to uh, like three or four people who posit their own uh, theories as well as uh, kind of like delve into their own experiences and, and how they've kind of come to really, really latch on to simulation theory. And he, unlike say room two, three, seven, where you don't see the people positing their theories you get to see these people but he assigns each one kind of like an augmented reality avatar so like one person's like this like uh brain in a robot thing as a joke that's representing like uh him in his like zoom camera feed that's pretty cute uh, and uh the undercurrent for this is uh, the philip k dick symposium that he i, I believe he had done i'm pretty sure it was france um and a lot of people had went to this thinking that Philip K. Dick was going to be talking about, you know, his, his career as a, as a science fiction writer and like his, his, you know, philosophical views is, you know, theological views. Uh, but he instead just went on a deep dive into what he deemed simulation theory. And that's kind of like this whole movie. And while we're diving into this, we are also kind of getting this person who, uh, really, really identifies with the Matrix and talking about his experience and where that goes is incredibly dark. Uh, and I don't know if I liked how it was presented. Basically, this character ends up murdering his family, thinking he's in this simulation. And you know, after he's done it, or, or while he's doing it, he's realizing that the the wreckage that he's causing is is real and horrible, and it, it isn't like the way it's been presented in movies. Um, but basically as he's like stalking through the house with his gun, they have like a, like, you know, a a digital representation of what's going on. And the music is kind of, it makes it, it made it seem a little exciting for me. And like, that made me uncomfortable. Uh, Like, I didn't think that the way it's been, it was packaged uh, 
was the best that it could have been packaged personally. Uh, okay. So yeah, that that's glitch in the matrix. I, I'd, I'd recommend it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to put it any better. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, on a lighter note, I watched Con Air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. You and your partner, Anna, are addicted to Con Air oh, to yeah. the point where I think we need to have an intervention and I'm worried about your dependence on this film. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to report, guys. It's still a great movie. <laughs> it's so much fun. Was there uh, ever any doubt? I don't think so. I don't think. It, How it, many times have you seen Con Air? Mm, well, double digit, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so like, I I, I love uh, like there's so many character actors in this. Like you you have uh, like you have John Malkovich's Cyrus the Virus. You have uh, Fing Rames, Diamond Dog. You have uh, Steve Buscemi as the... Was he like a serial killer or a pedophile? I don't remember what what his... What is his... Uh, when they kind of like... Get introduced her, every, Yeah, when they, when, when they introduced the characters. I don't remember entirely. I say he was like a serial killer. Yeah. Um, I think but the pedophile thing is like the... Hinted at with the scene with the girl. But like, I yeah. don't think that that was his M.O. Yeah, and there's like Dave Chappelle in it as well. Uh, people like him. I don't. I don't know how I how I feel about Dave Chappelle personally. There's a lot of like not great comedy bits that he's done. But you've got MC Ganey as the Swamp Thing. Yeah, he's he's great in that. Um, yeah, it's just a, a fun movie. Obviously, Nicolas Cage. Um, but beyond that, I, I've also uh, Grey's Anatomy has come back, guys. So we can resume Ooh. rewatch. <laughs> Um, so where we left Grey's Anatomy was, uh, uh, there is a character who, who has been diagnosed as bipolar, but, uh, he basically had believed, uh, this person who was a patient, uh, was a sex trafficker. And a lot of people discounted what he was saying on the basis of him having like a manic episode. Uh, but he ended up being correct. Uh, and then this person comes back into the story just before it went to break uh, in December. So it ended with this character, DeLuca, pursuing this person who is for sure a sex trafficker. Uh, and then this, uh, the newest episode picks up with him having been stabbed. Unfortunately, Grey's Anatomy has made the great uh, idea of dispensing all of the events that caused his stabbing uh and throwing them onto like its sister show station 19 so (laughs) like i don't want to watch another show to get the information that i need for this show it's like so infuriating it's the crossover Uh, event of the season nobody wants to watch station 19 (laughs) guys uh brazen anatomy is bad enough trust me um so this episode was like absolute trash and and i watched Grey's anatomy because it's trash but it's usually fun and enjoyable trash this season has been terrible and this new episode that is supposed to be like you know it's 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 mid-season you know continuation is awful it's it's so depressing the uh spoiler alert they killed deluca there's also a a a woman who uh who's i believe her uh, she's going through like systematic organ failure after having a child. She dies at the end of the episode. They're talking about COVID nonstop. It, it's like 
the writing is awful. There's like a B storyline where uh, Meredith's sister is just like having sex with somebody at a hotel and they're having like a little fun time, but no, it doesn't move the plot forward at all. It's just a really, really bad episode and it's not funny. <laughs> uh, well, that's I'm still too bad. I'm still going to keep watching guys. It's gonna be I mean, I think that's why you watch it, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, beyond that, like I, I rewatched Brian De Palma's Body Double. Uh, I mm, tried great I, film. Love I that love, film. I love Body Double as well. Uh, it might be an episode down the road. Yeah, which, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I don't know how you'd feel about it. So I think it might be an interesting one to explore. Uh, but beyond that, I also watched a few episodes of Superstore after you guys talking about it. Um, basically Anna had started watching it a long time ago and I, I made fun of her because it sounded stupid. Like the, the it's called Superstore, which is like not a great name. And it was on Netflix. So I assumed it was a Netflix show and it just felt right. like one of those, like, it's not the right, it's on a network. Originally, yeah. Is I correct? feel you. Yeah. That's so, actually what I thought of it initially too. And those were exactly my impressions. So I can yeah. understand maybe they have a marketing problem, but anyway, That's what do you terrible. think of it? Uh, I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of yeah. fun. I love, yeah. love the manager's voice. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. Like his like voice is like so endearing. Like it, Mark McKinney of Kids in the Hall. That's so funny. It's so it's good. Great. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, unfortunate marketing that isn't helped by like you know Netflix. Everything that they produce has that kind of like blah personality free uh you know image and it it appears like that it, unless you actually actively you know watch an episode and you realize it's a good show uh yeah so i, I i'm feel glad bad. you like it i'm glad you checked it out yeah I'm, i feel bad i made fun of anna for like a week <laughs> while i was just watching this show uh anyways uh so that's what we've been watching for the week shall we start talking about malibu express guys no don't make us i don't want to <laughs> Well, you mentioned in Grey's Anatomy the the sex scene that you know didn't further the plot or have anything to to do with it, and that reminded me of this this movie. Uh, Great, segue. Great segue! Great oh, segue! I don't oh, know what's gonna happen this in guys, this conversation. I'm sorry, this is the episode that just like goes off the rails. Oh man! So, anyways, from 1985, the year of my birth, we have Andy Sedaris's Malibu Express. I bet it's a wonderful trailer. It's a fucking shitty trailer, I bet. I'm like 99% sure. All right. Meet Cody Abilene, a private eye with an adoring public. He's an undercover operator. Hi, I'm May, and this is my friend Faye. With a knack for getting at the bare facts. Yeah. This is the Countess, a government agent with her own special skills. Mm. And together... They're both headed for danger on the Malibu Express. This is kinky. In the world of high rollers, low blows, and dangerous curves, Cody's playing a deadly new game. Go ahead, make my day. Sorry, babe, but I gotta have some water. The FBI wants him back. No one should suspect anything. I'm gonna nail him with a grenade. The Russians want him dead. And the girls from the yacht next door 
just want him. I understand you're a private investigator. And Cody Abilene always gets his girl. Marvelous. So park your car, hide your guns, and lock up your daughters. Cody Abilene just got another case. He's hard to catch. You are continental. Hard to keep. Scoot your butts outside. Hard to figure. And impossible to resist. Starring Sybil Danning, Darby Hinton, and five Playboy Playmates. Let him just bring you in for sex. I have a few things to fill you in on. Make tracks for the Malibu Express. No matter where you're headed, it goes all the way. Would I help any woman in distress? Yes, ma'am, I would. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about why uh, I've selected this movie for our fifth episode. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear this. (laughs) Okay, guys, this is going to be a stretch, but I'm really excited to talk about it. So uh, I saw this movie a few years ago as I started to move through the Andy Sedaris filmography, which is a thing that I've actually done, guys. So (laughs) I I think I deserve an award. I think so, too. Uh, But basically... uh, a, a lot of review shows, podcasts, you know, like just like YouTube channels, stuff like that had, uh, you know, covered his work and dubbed it, you know, it's like good, bad movies. So I, I decided to follow suit. Um, you know, I watched Hard Ticket to Hawaii and this and a few others. Um, I selected this movie for the reason that uh, I really enjoy movies that seem as if they've been made by an alien that's kind of like crash landed on Earth. Now, this alien has, like, observed aliens, or sorry, observed humans for a few months, deciding they've, like, accrued enough empirical data on what, like, the average American likes, then sets to create a film based on this perception. Alternatively, it feels like it's one of those scripts that have been, like, created by an AI that still needs, like, a little bit of room to grow before they actually pass the Turing test and take over humanity. But, like, it feels like it's detached from you know, what a, like a, a, the average person would write for a script. Like there's just something off about it. And I find something about that to be intensely enjoyable. It's, it's also described as 007 by way of Russ Meyer by people who are more intelligent than I am, which, you know, like I, it's a pretty accurate, somewhat accurate way of describing this movie. Uh, Russ Meyer is a little bit more intelligent than, this, than uh, you know, uh, the, the Andy Sedaris filmography. Uh, but uh, I have another uh, another reason. So when I was a kid, I used to play this game where uh, it, was, it was a video game, like early video game. It was just like text prompting and, and, and that's it. Uh, and in this game, you could basically develop a movie and then you would get randomly generated reviews and uh, like box office returns week week on week. So did you guys ever, do you know about this? No, what no is this never heard of it. Game? I don't know. I tried Googling it. it now. Yeah, I can't find it. I couldn't. I googled like game where you make movie and see reviews and box office returns. Uh, like I, it feels like one of the premises that that game would generate is this movie, like the like the the log line. Like it 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 feels weird and strange and doesn't make sense. And I thought that is going to uh, be a fun experience for you guys. <laughs> 
Well, fun is one way to put it. I think there's probably a few other adjectives that come to mind, but yeah. uh, why don't why don't we just get into it and see? Uh, yeah. So, Yvetta, uh, did you have any experience with this film prior to this oh, podcast? Oh boy, I did not. This was my first viewing of Malibu Express, or as I have coined it in my head, Mammary Express. I'm so sorry, <laughs> I can't help it. Um, and I've never seen any Andy Sedaris films, but I did know of him. I knew of the types of films it was. It was guns, girls, boats, bikinis, etc., softcore porn. And so I kind of knew like of the universe. And I, I'm sure I've seen, you know, some sh- shitty VHS covers or some stills or whatever. So I had a sense of the aesthetic, um, but I had never seen this film or any of his others. I think what surprised me the most and you're going to call me an idiot, maybe, I don't know, but I actually thought the acting would be slightly better than what it was. I knew it wouldn't be good, but I kind of thought, I didn't think it would be this bad. Like, I thought it would be one step up from this. So so I was really like, <laughs> oh, okay, it's this bad. Um, so it's kind of my initial impression. And uh, what about you guys? So I have to say, uh, I think I like the acting better on this go around. So maybe you just need to watch it one more time to like really. Ah, <laughs> an acquired taste. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Mitch, just general thoughts now, please. Sure. Um, as far as any history with this movie or Andy Sedaris in general, I really had none whatsoever. Um, this was my first intro to anything Andy Sedaris. Um, so knew nothing about him or his movies or what this was going in other than, you know, looking at the cover of it uh, after the last one and seeing sort of having an idea as to what I was in for. But uh, I'll say, generally speaking, I'll I'll give it a, a thumbs down for now. I'll, I guess I'll get into the why uh, a little bit later. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't... Uh, it certainly wasn't my favorite uh, film. I'm gonna gladly be the staunch defender of Malibu Express through the please uh, the rest be, of because you've mentioned before other films where you you were thinking about selecting them but you couldn't defend them and then you selected this. I'm very curious to hear <laughs> your defense of Malibu Express. Well, I don't really have a defense, guys, uh, but I could talk about why I like it. Uh, you know, like if you, if you're like the acting is bad. Uh, I don't have a rebuttal. The acting is, in fact, quite bad, guys. Uh, the The plot is incom- incomprehensible, guys. I like I just like I writing the synopsis for this. I, I added gray hairs. I, I like I I I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know if I can defend it, but I could talk about it with absolute glee and <laughs> see if uh, any opinions are altered by the end of it. Sound good? That sounds great. Yeah. All right, cool. This is going to be a trial. Take us through it, Stefan. But just remember, if you lose or miss or get confused about anything, it literally makes zero difference because (laughs) this plot is not important at all. I got to the end of this movie and it has one of those recap endings with a bunch of B-roll and some new stuff. And I stopped writing. I was just like, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even follow it. I, like I stopped the movie multiple times. Uh, I stopped the ending multiple times and tried to like, like wrap my head around it. And I was just like, I don't know what's happening anymore. I don't Nobody know. Nobody does. Yeah. Nobody knows. All right, guys. So 
we open with a sensual Flojo nailed woman as she types onto a computer, which, as we'll find for a movie whose premise centers around computers, is really one of only a handful <laughs> of it? scenes with an actual computer in it. I was going to say, does it really center around computers, Stefan? <laughs> All right, so this is a popular thing with Andy Sedaris movies where like, the premise uh like the synopsis that you'd find on like imdb or on like the fucking back of the blu-ray is like so far removed from what the actual contents of the film are and uh, guys i don't know man so <laughs> <sighs> well yeah when i after watching the movie i you know did a little bit of googling and even just like on the was i don't know if it's wikipedia or on the main google page here uh, the government sends a Texas private eye west to investigate computer secrets sold to the Soviets. And after reading that, I was like, "That's is that the movie that I watched? Because I don't think that it is. It, <laughs> it's like, the government sent him there? Who in the government sent him? Oh, so uh, oh, we'll, we'll get, we'll, all right. So I'll, 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 I'm going to tease the, the fine nuance of all of the performances <laughs> and all of the subtle exposition that is administered throughout this film and try to make some sense of what's going on. So, after the the wonderful computer typing, we finally meet Cody Abilene, who is our cowboy private eye, which is a thing, uh, and that's what he is. Uh, as he pulls up to a shooting range in his DeLorean, that's a that's a fucking sentence, guys. A cowboy <laughs> private eye pulls up in his DeLorean at the shooting range. He like, he does. <laughs> Uh, at the range, he fires off a massive 44 Magnum, I think. I don't know anything about guns. I think somebody calls it a 44 at, at some point in the movie. Doesn't so matter. I'm going to run with that. I don't like. I don't care. Uh, he somehow misses his target by larger and larger margins with each subsequent shot. And as if proud of this display, he blows the smoke from the hand cannon's barrel and heads off uh, while the poor owner of the gun range shakes his head at the damage that Cody Abilene has left in his wake. <laughs> Uh, from this, Cody now visits a racetrack where he watches June knockers race and then undress. Uh, I don't think anything really happens here, but it'll set up an action set piece down the road. We also right. missed a very important detail about June knockers. The, the age is silent. Exactly. <laughs> knockers with an H. Yeah. Oh, Yvetta, do you have any any thoughts on uh, a character being named Jew Knockers? I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect for this movie. It's perfect for these people. This aesthetic. It's it's any everything you could possibly want from a film like Malibu Express is a sexy girl named June Knockers. So yes, thumbs up. <laughs> this is the most lecherous movie I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, outside of like actual straight pornography. I think. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, Cody then drives to the yacht club where uh, we find that he lives on a boat that is uh, docked at this club. I actually have to correct you. Um, his exact line is, I reside on this boat. He does not live on the boat. He resides on the boat, which struck me as such a fancy way to say I live on this fucking boat. <laughs> Here where I reside. <laughs> You can put a hat on a piece of shit, but it's still a shit, you know? Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Let's, let's back it up, actually, a little bit. Sorry. Because <clears throat> I completely forgot. Uh, before he even gets to the dock, he's going to... He talks into an audio recorder, uh, basically feeding the audience exposition, which is going to become, like, a popular thing throughout the movie, is, like weird kind of bland voiceover that's like okay i'm going to do this now blah 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 blah. like 
it's there's something about it that I find like in like immensely entertaining. Uh, I don't know if when his voiceover picked up, you guys had any any similar thoughts or anything to that effect. I think initially I found it amusing, and then by the end of the film, I was I was sort of <laughs> done with it. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're not explaining anything, so <laughs> why am I listening to you talk? He's trying to explain how this movie all makes sense. Right, right. Jovanna, did you did you enjoy his voiceover at all? Yeah, it's fine. I guess it provides for like the narrative flow because otherwise the movie would make even less sense than it already does. So sometimes you need old uh, Cody to just explain to you what the hell is going on. But yeah, whatever. It's also part of the allure of all this like old technology, right? Like at the end, the tape recorder that goes up in smoke and all this stuff. Like the fact that he has a little portable recorder and it's like silver gray and he hits that clicky click button is just like, I don't know. It's part of the whole aesthetic, right? Yeah, while he drives his DeLorean. Oh, so while at the dock, uh, we are introduced to the board of directors, I think, of the dock, <laughs> like the, the yacht club. Uh, they greet Cody and try to uh, basically get him to take down a, I don't know what the hell it is. It's, it's like a, a, a false, like a false wall uh, with a door and on it is painted uh, like the, the, the head of a train, which is dubbed the Malibu Express, as if like begging the audience to say like, this is, this is the reason why it's called this because there is absolutely no other reason why we've called it Malibu Express. Like it, it's bananas. Uh, I, 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 there's a story about his mother that I didn't even write down because I was like, this place fucking so ridiculous. pointless, so yeah. pointless, so many tangents trains? narratively. Just like where, where do they even go? Yeah. By the way, it sounds like I'm trashing this movie, but I actually enjoy everything that I'm trashing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm a masochist with movies, I suppose. But uh, anyways, uh, the, the reason I'm bringing up the board of directors is because one of these individuals is of note, and he is Douglas F. Wilton, uh, who, who will become somewhat important shortly. Um, anyways, we we gather that Cody's father is clearly like a big wig here at the Yacht Club uh, as Cody kind of like throws his name around to to you know get past these yacht club stiffs and keep his malibu express painting firmly in place at the you know the head of the row where his his boat resides um uh, anyways while on his boat two women surprise cody asking him if they can use his shower because this movie is largely a series of porn setups tethered <laughs> together it's just titties it's all yeah, titties that's all pretty much the it. whole thing fuck yeah <laughs> like it's <laughs> jesus christ i don't know man uh, i don't even know why uh, like th- they're introduced like throughout the movie like uh, they're reintroduced throughout the movie uh but like i i don't even know why i wrote it down because it, it's so inc- inconsequential in, in terms of like everything that happens in the movie like they don't really add anything they're they're, they're just there I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, disagree with you strongly on that, Um, if I may. May may I? Yes, please. So um, to the, I think with any film, whether it's a good one, bad one, genre film, high art, low art, whatever, I think in some sense you have to meet the film partway on its own terms. So you kind of have to be like, what is this film actually intending to do rather than what I enjoy about it or what I think it's doing? And this film is intending to do titties um very obviously and openly right so you kind of have to be like okay this is what it's doing right 
And of the two girls who come and shower on his boat, the one with the brown hair objectively has the nicest breasts in the movie. I'm being serious. Like, if if the film is trying to display a wide selection of women's breasts, which it very obviously is, then you have to give a bit of a nod to the one character in the film that has the best boobs in the movie. Um, and my award for that goes to the brown-haired girl who uses the shower. Thank you, brown-haired girl. So I think she serves a very... I think she serves a very important purpose here. Okay, that, that that's all. That's a reasonable argument. Yeah, I think that's uh, a, a fair point. They certainly add some nice breasts, breasts uh, to the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we can't pretend like that's not what the film is openly, yeah, absolutely, and forthrightly doing, right? Yeah. So let's just you know let's let's call a spade a spade. It's it's presenting the movie's presenting a complicated geopolitical issue between America and Russia. <laughs> that, that's what this movie's doing. Oh yes, uh, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Of course, as, of course. As as we'll see in the subsequent scene, which uh, again is probably one of the few times computers are actually in, in this movie, where we see uh, a computer lab where our, our aforementioned yacht club board member Douglas F. Wilton. Uh, is meeting with Contessa Luciana, played by Sybil Danning. I didn't write down actors or like for half of these people. Uh, Doesn't I think, matter. Yeah, Sybil Danning is probably the only noteworthy person. Uh, I don't even remember what the main character who who plays. Uh, I don't know the name of the person who plays them. I'm not looking it up. Somebody else wants to. By all means, I fucking don't care. <laughs> Anyways, the point is that they uh, discuss Russian cybercrime. Uh, apparently the Russians were buying up all of the quote unquote best American computers as if this were written by Donald Trump, who was like pacing like across a room as like a stenographer is writing down his every thought like, yes, breasts, Russian buying best American computers. That's the plot of this movie. Uh, basically the, the movie's presenting Russia as like a technologically disadvantaged uh, nation who's buying up all of their products, figuring out how they work, and then, you know, to, to progress technologically. And that's a real issue for Douglas F. Wilton, who is a Yacht Club board member, as well as an FBI agent, I, I think. Question mark? I don't honestly don't know, guys. Doesn't matter. Possibly, Once yeah, again, does not matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so uh, apparently there's a family facilitating a great deal of these computer sales, the Chamberlains. With uh, note, uh, they're particularly looking at Lillian Chamberlain, the the matriarch of this family. Since Contessa Luciana is personal friends with Lillian, uh, they're going to have to tap a fresh body for this covert mission. Douglas F. Wilton inexplicably suggests someone from his yacht club, Cody Abilene. And that's what sets this all into motion, guys. Uh, I... I... Why... <laughs> I'm just like, so many, I feel like so I'm, many melting. I'm melting. I'm so melting, guys. Th- this whole episode, I'm melting. Uh, so Cody arrives at Contessa Luciana's home bearing a gift, a red glittering nightmare that exposes uh, her midriff as well as like the center of her breast. Because again, the central truth of this movie is breasts. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trashing anybody's clothing choice here. I just think it's an odd gift for someone you've never met. Um, she puts on the dress and then the two, uh, enjoy dinner and then have sex. And then she dispenses the, the details of the mission. 
basically he's to infiltrate the aforementioned Chamberlain residence in Bel Air and figure out what's going on with all those American computers going to Russia. Uh, on his way, he stopped by the Buffington family. Uh, oh yeah, Mitch, Mitch, what are your what are your thoughts on anything that we've discussed so far, up to and including the Buffington family? Uh, so, I mean the the whole yacht club president or whoever it is also being an FBI agent asking him to go and investigate things. Like again, all of these things are seemingly are just excuses to introduce him to a new uh, woman who he, you know, then has sex with or, you know, takes her clothes off before he moves on to the next one. So the plot sort of devices don't really mean anything, but the, the Buffingtons I just found to be, in my opinion, the worst part of the movie. Uh, <laughs> like I don't worst. I don't understand. It's like if you're you're making this movie, and I think like we've we've sort of made it clear here. The whole it's softcore porn uh, essentially. Um, but then you just have these random scenes thrown in where it's like this weird family of yokels who shout at him and then have a, a race with him. I don't know. I just I couldn't be bothered. I hated them so much. <laughs> It's like the Beverly Hillbillies just like rammed the, their, their vehicle into this movie. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand what they added uh, in any sort of way. The humor, it didn't land for me if that was the intention. Um, but yeah, there's just nothing. Nothing about the Buffingtons was appealing to me. Yovana, Buffingtons, go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is, a t- this is a tough question. You're really putting me on the spot. I mostly agree with Mitch. It's like, what the hell's going on there? I don't, even, I don't understand. <laughs> I think the only potential guess I could take as to the function of the Buffingtons in this narrative is that, you know, the whole film is a kind of fantasy where presumably the male spectator would see themselves in Cody, right? So he's the alpha, he's, you know, the Chad, to use the contemporary parlance (laughs) of the incels of our day. He's the one who, you know, women just cannot keep their clothes on as soon as they see him. And um, he's smooth. He's got the coolest profession ever, a private detective. Everybody's blonde and good looking. Like it's, it's very much these, these kinds of like classy, smooth people who get whatever they want, get sex whenever they want, control the whole world. And the Buffingtons are the opposite, right? They're the bumbling, fat, nerdy, ugly, incompetent, you know, not cool. Like, so my only guess is that if if you're watching this film and you are meant to be identifying with Cody as a kind of confidence boost or, or something, then you're kind of like, ha those stupid Buffingtons. I'm not like them. I'm a cool Cody. That's me. And then you and then you think women are going to sleep with you all over the place i don't know that's my guess (laughs) about the buffingtons (laughs) you weren't at all interested in any of the racing that was going on oh no not at all (laughs) good (laughs) just double checking uh anyways the the buffington family goads cody into racing their son bobo uh cody's delorean fails spectacularly just like the company that produced the very vehicle he's driving um uh, adding really nothing to the plot uh he doesn't lose anything from the race uh, aside from deciding there must be something wrong with the vehicle uh and bringing it to an auto repair shop uh you know not even considering the fact that his subpar driving could have been the culprit for him losing the race 
Cody then arrives uh, basically at uh, the Chamberlain residence and is greeted by the Lothario butler, Shane, who excuses himself to enjoy a quickie with Anita Chamberlain, Lillian's daughter. Um, Over dinner, Cody meets the entire Chamberlain uh, family while Anita claws at his leg and no real plot unfolds. Uh, I, I guess we're introduced to Anita's husband, Stuart, who's uh, r- frequently referred to using derisive homophobic slurs. Uh, but otherwise, nothing really happens. Cody excuses himself to meet up with Sergeant Beverly McAfee for his weekly workout, but he doesn't work out. Rather, he spends his time eyeballing women. Uh, meanwhile, two beefcakes make snarky comments about why Beverly would hang out with such a chump like Cody. Uh, because this movie is a sea of endless coincidences, these beefcakes will surely be larger a larger part of the plot going forward. Um, back at the Chamberlain household, we see that Shane aggressively tries to coerce Lizzie Chamberlain into shower sex. Uh, meanwhile, he's snapping timed photos of the events, presumably for blackmail purposes. In the next day, poolside, Liza fills Cody in that Anita's having an affair with Shane the butler. We, this, we see this intercut with Shane filming his sex with Anita. Uh, Cody then gives Liza a ride to meet with a friend, Jonathan Harper, who owns a company that spe- specializes in computer sales, a company which Liza has been investing in, as if to remind us that this is a Russian cybercrime film. I like... I don't know. This this whole scene is ridiculous, but uh, Cody and Liza meet with Jonathan after some stilted dialogue. Liza, do you have the financing? Yes, I do. A legit rule of money is exchanged. Afterwards, the beefcakes from the gym come in and act like assholes and grope Liza, and uh, Cody is asked to leave. The beefcakes are sent after him. Uh, Mitch, general thoughts thus far? Yeah, I mean, at this point in the movie, I feel like I was already, I was already out. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just it's a bunch of nonsense, and even like, again, I understand that this is a ridiculous movie that's mostly nonsense, and you know, show as many tits as possible. But even then, watching it, I still can't help myself but being like, okay, he just wanted Cody out of the room. So Cody left and he's like, oh, okay, make sure he like you could go send the giant beefcakes after him so that uh, to make sure he leaves the property. And the next scene is Cody is like driving on a highway and these guys are like chasing him down. So he's clearly already left the property. What, yeah. what, what, what are we doing here? Uh, I, don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just couldn't be bothered with uh, with a lot of it. Absolutely. Same. I was like, <laughs> just he's gone. Let him go. What's the why? <laughs> yeah. And they shoot up his car and they beat him up. I'm like, why? I don't even know. He hasn't even done anything. He was literally just there. And the guy was like, get out. And he got out. And then the guys chased him down for no reason. Um, I do think it's really funny that the two, two of the three kind of villainous strongmen are like super, super buff gym rats, like bodybuilder level, because um, you don't often see guys like that as villains with guns. Um, I feel like they, in order to get that buff, they have to spend all day in the gym and eat all sorts of crazy powders and steroids. So like their their gun-toting villainy is almost like a secondary 
I think their primary profession is to be gym rats, right? So I don't know what they're doing with this gun-toting villainy. Is this like their side hustle or are they like freelance or like and and super buff guys like that, they're not even very quick or flexible because they can't they're not sprightly, you know? Yeah. Like they, they can barely turn their bodies around. So they're not the best they're not the best guys for strong men who you want to chase someone down in the desert and beat them up. Um, so just narratively, you know, I'm already, I'm already at this point where I'm like, these guys are too buff. Why? why? No. Um, but yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta feel for Cody there. Cause as our protagonist, um, he's, he's in a bit of a rough spot, but yeah, as, as far as the narrative goes, I was already like, okay, whatever. I don't even, I, it, you know, no idea what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, the, the honest thing. So, uh, as you touched on the beefcakes basically force, Cody's car to the shoulder of this like desert road, but he gets ready to fight, removes his shirt, you know, flexes and suggests that his body's like a lethal weapon. Like, meanwhile, there's like these like absolute beefcakes in front of him who he only realizes are beefcakes after they take off their shirts. As oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like object permanence issues. Like he doesn't understand that. Like, oh, uh... the, the way that his shirt looks also equates to like what's underneath. Like it's it's like a like a surprise like he's a baby. <laughs> this is like I have so many questions about that. Uh, anyways, um, they as you said they beat him up and like the one one of the guys the the least beefy pulls in an assault rifle, uh, first points it at Cody's dick and then points it at his vehicle and then proceeds to blow it away, essentially leaving Cody. Uh, alone wandering in the desert without a vehicle. Um, and then to further the plot along, he manages to find a used car parking lot or used car lot uh, where he asks for the fastest thing on the lot. And almost zero time, the female salesperson unbuttons her shirt saying she's the fastest thing on the lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, boy. He, probably the, the, this is the, I think one of the funnier, scenes in the movie because the acting is like I, I think some of the acting in this is actually pretty serviceable that might be like a dark horse opinion but like it makes sense for the most part this was just like the the timing was all off in, like entirely like he basically doesn't even finish his line before she's like unbuttoning <laughs> her shirt and then delivering the 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 rebuttal you know um uh, so it's uh, another question is cody attractive like to me he's not i mean he does have a kind of what we would today call a retro vintage look with the mustache that would potentially be popular with the urban hipster ladies of metropolitan areas i think like i think he'd be considered pretty cute in like a brooklyn hipster bar um i don't i don't find him that attractive but i i could see how he would fit in and be desirable i don't know yeah like like i i i don't understand why i'm like having a fucking mental breakdown thinking of like how this scene would play out like it's absolutely so ridiculous but uh like mitch do i think he's attractive yeah i don't know (laughs) Um, I mean, I can, like, in, immediately seeing him in the, like, opening of the movie, I was reminded of, like, a Magnum P.I. kind yeah. of vibe. And I feel like people, you know, dug that sort of look uh, potentially at the time. I mean, he certainly, you know, takes care of himself. 
you know, he's not one of the, the beefcakes, but, you know, he works out, uh, he's got a decent body. Uh, you know, so like, I don't think he's an unattractive guy. Um, but like, obviously to the extent that, you know, the sales woman at the used car lot just immediately takes her clothes off or pretty much everyone that comes yeah. in contact with them immediately <laughs> takes their clothes off. I mean, I don't know if a person on the planet exists that, uh, that has that capability, but certainly not this guy. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the two do make love and then Cody ends up leaving with a vehicle, uh, basically on his way home. He reminisces that, uh, on his way on his trip to Palm Spring, he says he had his ass whooped, his, his borrowed car shot to shit and that he was raped. Uh, which, uh, like, that's another thing. Like, was he raped in that situation? Like, I, like the movie wasn't <laughs> no. clear. Like, like, yeah. I think, like, I think he's making a joke, which is pretty tasteless. You're yeah, not, you're not supposed not to joke about sexual assault, <laughs> yeah. but it's one of those things where like a man has a woman come on to him and he's all like, Oh no, please. But like, you know, yeah, the movie did not present, uh, the situation as such. Uh, it didn't really present much to be honest. Like the, it, it didn't it didn't show the events basically the salesperson just like flashes her breasts and delivers her line then we cut to him leaving the vehicle there's nothing like it's like in, in like intended to represent you know anything like awful happening if, if if that was in fact a joke it's a terrible joke it's not great at all um but oh man the so much of the voiceover in this is uh is trying <laughs> I, I'm struggling to adequately convey the plot of this movie. Let's just, whatever, skip to the next thing. It doesn't have to make any sense. Whatever's next, let's just go there. Yeah. Uh, so so meanwhile, Shane's sitting next to Anita and receives a phone call from a loan shark looking to collect 30 grand. It's clear Shane's been documenting his sexual exploit with the Chamberlains to blackmail the family out of the money he needs to get out from underneath this, this loan shark. Uh, he then shows Anita some of his blackmail, blackmail material that he's developed. Uh, unfortunately, Anita doesn't bite and storms off uh, quite reasonably pissed off that she's been uh, being sh- like filmed uh, while having sex. Like Very, very reasonable response. Um, meanwhile, Cody is overheard. This whole entire exchange has, has decided to follow Shane as he brings Anita's husband, Stuart, to the club. Uh, at this point, Shane tries to blackmail the next uh, Chamberlain family member, Stuart, who is busy getting into drag in the back of a limo before he heads into the club, uh, which is called the Screaming Cockatoo. Um, I so this movie doesn't does do not does not develop characters at all. So I, I don't know if like I assume he's getting into drag versus being like a like a trans person. They don't really like Stuart has no character aside to nobody has a character yeah. not a not a single character has any character in this yeah movie. I, I only bring that up because like if i'm misrepresenting the intention for the character it's because i don't fucking know the character we, so no. i can't tell you um but something i do have to say uh when cody discovers that Stuart is in drag his reaction isn't terrible given the liberal use of homophobic slurs by shane throughout the movie uh he's like oh like Stuart's a a, a beautiful woman and that's his reaction which he wasn't lying either yeah Stuart looked great (laughs) Stuart looked fucking amazing my boyfriend and I were watching and we were like damn Stuart looks good 
like better yeah. than some like some of the women absolutely I fully agreed 150 percent uh so like that response like we have to remember this is 1985 like this reaction could have gone could have been far more unfortunate and considering nearly a decade from this movie's release a certain other private eye film came out which handled such reveal with an infinitely worse reaction uh of course i'm talking about ace Ventura, but you know uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, like at least it has like one like not truly offensive moment in this movie uh and it's really the only positive thing I can say about it at this point. So I actually really liked this scene of Stuart getting his makeup on in the car and uh, getting into drag to go to, once again, a club called The Screaming Cockatoo. <laughs> um, I thought it was one of the best scenes. I thought it was really uh, interesting. It was the first part of the movie where I perked up and started to pay attention as though something worth my attention might be happening, kind of. Um, and obviously Stuart looked great. And I agree that it was handled like, you know, relatively progressively for a B movie about tits, right? So like they weren't, you know, they weren't totally ostracizing him as because of his drag or trans persona. Um, So yeah, actually, this was one of the key moments in the film where I was like, oh, maybe this will take a turn and actually become an interesting movie. But... (laughs) (laughs) This is just a minor diversion from the the movie's unending shittiness. Um, Another thing that I love is like Stuart as he's being blackmailed, it's kind of like, like almost like, shut up. I need to get ready for the club. Blackmailed. He's like, I need to look great. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, cool. So, so we can talk positively about one scene in this whole entire film. Uh, basically uh, after, at this point, uh, Cody joins the Chamberlains for a party at Contessa Luciana's, or it could honestly be the Chamberlains. I don't know. It's incredibly hard to discern locations for this movie. I don't know if either of you had a similar problem. But doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't yeah matter. I could, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> had no idea. It just looked don't like know, a... Don't know, doesn't matter. Yeah, it looked like a Malibu house and then another Malibu house and then another Malibu house. Yet, uh, you know, one of them is Contessa Luciana's home. One of them is the Chamberlain home. One of them is the beach home. Uh, you know, the, every place looks exactly the same. Uh, and and we can get into it maybe later if I still have the like the the mental energy. But the distance that they have to travel in order to get to certain locations doesn't make sense uh, via events that happen later in the film. Uh, I can't wrap my head around it. It's like making me go insane. Uh, but anyways, so uh, they're at a party. Uh, it's it's hard to follow. And at the party, Jonathan Harper is chatting up Lillian Chamberlain uh, in hopes of her investing in his computer company, as if nudging the audience again that this is still the purpose of the movie. Uh, while this is going on, Shane the butler is, is assaulted by his loan shark, uh, who is also, once again, another coincidence, the owner of the uh, catering company. Uh, desperate Shane again tries in vain to extort money from Stuart. Uh, afterwards, Shane is stabbed by a woman wearing an overcoat with her head encased in nylon stockings. The unidentified woman then steals the blackmail material. Uh, with his dying breath, Shane manages to snap a photo of the assailant with his like, you know, sneaky, sneaky, peaky ca- camera. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to fucking call it. Uh, anyways. 
Uh, and he, he quickly hides the camera in a drawer. Like this whole setup is so stupid. Uh, he takes a photo, hides it in a drawer and the assailant turns, uh, shoots Shane and then goes into the drawer and end up, ends up retrieving uh, the wrong camera because he apparently has a lot of sneaky peeky cameras. Not surprised. Uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> On the way out, our uh, assailant administers two more doses of hot lead before disappearing into the darkness. Uh, the next day, Cody and Contessa discover Shane's corpse. In Shane's room, uh, Cody discovers Anita rooting around. Um, he kind of, she just leaves. He just doesn't. He ignores the fact that she could be implicit in this crime. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Cody manages to find Shane's bloody camera and. Uh, Basically, this is kind of like the uh, what, what is it like a MacGuffin for the rest of the rest of the movie? Everybody's after this one entire thing. Um, but after this, Cody rounds up the rogues gallery of the Chamberlain family uh, and then does something that I don't understand uh, because it hasn't been introduced before and it's going to be used for the rest of the movie. Uh, and it isn't a funny joke. Uh, it's a really elaborate bit. It makes zero sense. But he calls a phone sex hotline to talk to his friend Sally, who he then asks to call the police for him. Uh, I understand the joke is he's calling a phone sex operator and treating her like an operator. But it's not funny. It's elaborate. It doesn't make sense. Mitch, thoughts go. Uh, pretty much the exact same thing. I wondered why are we... What purpose is this serving apart from a, another set of breasts? Uh, and I think that's really all there was to and, it. And a criminal understanding of what a phone sex operator's work life is like. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, it just was another thing along in a long series of things that made no sense, but served to uh, present us with more topless women. The only thing I will say that I enjoyed about the phone sex operator is she seems to have a variety of hats. Did you notice that? There's some great outfits, by the way. Yeah, like great outfits, but also like whenever Cody calls, she puts on a different hat. One time she puts on a cowboy hat. Another time he's calling her from his yacht and she puts on like a little faux captain's hat sort of. Yeah, it was great. Like where are all these hats coming? Like she's having like a, like a, bucket of hats next to her desk at the phone sex i don't know but i kind of appreciate that touch that this woman you know is a sex worker and yet you know her sex work is entirely on the phone again so there's really no reason for any outfits whatsoever and yet she finds the time to have a variety and a collection of hats that's uh i don't know I think that was probably uh, an an acting choice on her part. It's like, well, what? Why am I here? It's like, well, you know, had no explanation. Well, can I at least wear some different hats? (laughs) What's my motivation? (laughs) Oh man, I uh, I do have to say the the scene where you kind of like get a glimpse at the other phone text operator. I was like, operators. I was like, this is like a, a fun little moment. I'm enjoying this. But again, like, I don't understand. It's not funny as a bit. I don't understand who would watch it as a bit and think it's funny. It's like, so, yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, it's so flat. It doesn't, it's not funny. It doesn't make sense. Uh, it's just like a lot of the choices in this movie, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. And then, like, having to like dissect where this was going somehow sucked the fun out of this. So, like, we're all just having a miserable existence uh, watching this movie and talking <laughs> about it now. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so at this point um, Cody's cop friend slash kind of workout partner Sergeant McAfee 
along with it, another cop arrives. I believe he's like a lieutenant, but I don't know his character name. Not looking it up. Don't care. Uh, showing that they've received the blackmail photos of Anita, which they refer to as <laughs> hard evidence. Uh, <laughs> not a good joke. Uh, I, I think I chuckled the first time I saw this movie as like, oh my God, that they made that joke. Uh, and then it's it's lost its luster since that initial uh, humorous delivery for me. But um, since the photos were taken in the Chamberlain Beach House, Cody goes to investigate along with Sergeant McAfee. Uh, instead, they have sex. Uh, Cody, meanwhile, or during sex, discovers Shane's hidden camera. Um, yeah, this is, this is honestly, this is like softcore porn. I think this is the moment at which I knew that this movie was just like, like really just softcore porn that's it took you that long <laughs> yeah I, like because like this is the moment at which like they they have like a they have a goal for where this scene should go they're like okay we have uh, a photo that shows this location so we should go investigate this location to determine who is shane's like killer uh and instead of like actually following that thread it just goes to sex I think like that's that's the moment where I was like, okay, this movie like doesn't even care about the own plot that it's set up. It is just uh, looking at you know trying to set up a sex scene. Um, so th- I think that's where I was at personally. I don't know, you, Yvanna, what do you think? Oh, I was there way way before you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I said, I think for me, much like Mitch, the scene where. Uh, they go to the computer factory, whatever Jonathan's place. That's where I, that's where I decided to no longer concern myself about the nature and details of the plot. So everything else after that was just was just I, I embraced the softcore porn as the primary driver of the film. Um, so yeah. I, I really, I really have nothing to say about the plot anymore. If you want to, if you want to talk about boobs, I'm happy to. But I've, I think I've come full circle, and I completely agree that the the two people on the boat do serve an integral purpose for the movie. I, Thank I think you. you're right. Yes. Yeah, you, you win, uh, I lose. I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> hey, this isn't a competition. We're all friends. Oh, it here. is. This is all a competition, guys. Uh, God, where did I even leave off in this fucking shit show, guys? I don't even know hard, anymore. Hard evidence. Hard evidence. <laughs> hard evidence. Yes. No, no, no. They were past this. Uh, they so they had gone to the beach house. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. I think I can finish this, guys. So um, two of Jonathan Harper's goons are sent to dispatch Cody and Sergeant McAfee. Uh, after some bad shooting, which, you know, at least something has been established in this movie and uh, is like you know, saw through the entire film. Like this guy sucks at shooting and he always sucks at shooting. And that's something that is like, at least, you know, set up properly and, and continues throughout the movie. But he does manage to bag one of the assassins while Sergeant McAfee managed, manages to bag the other killer. Uh, Cody then runs into the Buffington family yet again. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Buffington. Oh. Yeah, so he races Bobo only to lose. Um, and and as Cody leaves, the Buffington family moons him, revealing we are number one uh, pasted across their backsides. Which, all right, so I have a few questions. Uh, it seems like an incredibly committed bit because, like, <laughs> were we 
for sure intending like were they for sure intending to run into Cody today if that if they weren't are they living day to day with those signs on their asses in hopes of again meeting Cody <laughs> I don't have answers only questions oh man yeah i mean uh, i don't it know it seems like they're pretty set on uh, on racing this guy and you know, as frequently as possible. So they must just be living with it, you know, at all times <laughs> being prepared for, for running into them. They, they do seem really, really committed to the fact that they're like the, the, you know, the, the paramount racers, <laughs> the best of the best. I will just share a observation that my boyfriend pointed out while I forced him to watch this piece of trash. <laughs> I apologize, um, Corey. <laughs> Cody seems to have, a lot of um, offers to have sex that he has to decline because he's in a rush to solve crimes. Like there's a few times where the girls from the boat next door want to do it with him. And he's like, sorry, girls, I'm too busy doing my important crime stuff. But he never seems to be too busy to race the Buffington. <laughs> so he's turning sex down because of his important work, but not racing a bunch of goons. I think his just priorities are a little... What? He just murdered someone too yeah and then is he still like okay like this racing's happening i gotta do it yeah it's like it's it's not negotiable when he sees the buffingtons he has to race no matter what other priorities or scheduling conflicts or things he has going on he has to race the buffingtons there's like some weird backstory too between his family that i like fully evacuated from my brain because i'm like i cannot allow more of this movie to occupy any space yeah yeah it was something like cody's father used to race them i don't know but there's a whole history of there's a rivalry that goes back generations (laughs) (laughs) cody or sorry the abilene's and the buffington rivalry it's a blood feud uh yeah there's even more like apparently like cody's father is like like yachting with like a bunch of women and he makes like this the gross comment that he was like yeah he was blown off course and that's why he's not back yet it's like a you know in your window i don't know much more about the the abilene family but uh i do know more about this plot guys um so at this point uh back on his yacht cody is attacked by uh still more assailants sent by uh, the wonderful Jonathan Harper. Um, Thankfully, the assailant makes the smart move of yelling before he enters uh, Cody's yacht, (laughs) giving him more than enough heads up to blow this guy's ear off. Um, The the, the assailants run off. I don't know what happens. Uh, They look for the tape or the, the, the footage that he's recovered, but they don't find it. Uh, I don't know what's happening at this point in the movie. I, I feel like this is where like my brain took a dark turn while trying to do the the, the plot for this. But uh, Sergeant McAfee uh, calls Cody to tell her that Stewart's been arrested for the murder on account of pictures of him and Shane surfacing. Uh, I don't know why this is what nets them a murder suspect for Shane's murder because they already have photos of like Anita and Shane. So like, why wouldn't they just, or sorry, Liza and Shane. All right. So I I'm confusing Liza and Anita all of the time. 
because they're so poorly formed as characters. I couldn't discern like one of them is blonde and one of them is brunette. Like, sure, that's a reason to to them apart. But in terms of like character stuff, I just completely forgot. So I, I've likely been confusing them throughout this this uh, this synopsis. But I, I, I guess what understand. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Why has Stuart been arrested? And like, why are some photos the the crucial piece of evidence when? You know, there had already been photos that pointed to another Chamberlain family member. Like, I, I don't get it, guys. I don't get it. I'm like, <laughs> well, unfortunately, we can't help you get it because yeah. we also don't <laughs> get it. There's, yeah. I don't think there's anything to to unpack or to understand about uh, the was, nonsensical plot details. I was so blissfully ignorant until I had to do the synopsis. I was just like, this is dumb fun. Now now writing it all out, I'm like, fuck this. I don't understand. Why? Why does this happen? Uh, But uh, it all does happen, guys. Um, So at this point in the story, uh, Cody calls the phone sex operator again and tries to get uh, him connected to June Knocker to see about helping him expose Shane's footage uh, Again, she's not an actual operator. You probably have June's number. Call her yourself. Um, but uh, it's basically revealed that June does have a friend, Rodney, who uh, is able to expose the footage for her, for him. Uh, so at this point, uh, Cody drives out to June Knocker's racetrack, but he's pursued by the beefcakes yet again. At the track, uh, Rodney develops the film revealing the image of the killer as our beefcakes arrive. Uh, on the way out, the beefcakes unload, shooting Sergeant McAfee in the chest, which, uh, so this movie has, like, largely been pretty, like, there hasn't been a lot of violence. Like, sure, Shane was murdered. Uh, I don't think that was particularly gory, but there's, like, a really aggressive squib. It just, like, really took me, like, like uh, by surprise, both the, 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 when I originally watched this and when I watched it for the, uh, the, the podcast episode, it really, really caught me off guard. Did, did either of you react to the squib or at this point where you're just like, there's 30 minutes left of this movie, please fucking finish. <laughs> yeah, I think I was in the, the latter camp. Yeah, there, same. There were plenty of same. times where I paused this and I was like, oh my God, why is this movie so long? <laughs> Yeah, it could literally lose like 30 minutes and the plot would still make you know, the yeah. same amount of sense. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. For, for me, it just felt like such like a like such stark violence out of nowhere that it, it uh, I, I found it pretty affecting. Uh, but uh, so at this point, Sergeant uh, McAfee has uh, been hurt, but she is still alive uh and passes her purse with the photos in it and uh hands it to can uh to cody and tells him to run cody manages to make it over to june and the two then pour into her vehicle and drive off uh uh, uh, yvette already talked about this she's the race car driver yet he goes into the 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 driver's side seat and like proceeds to drive the vehicle when she is clearly a far superior and better driver. Uh, Yuvanna, uh, do you want to talk about this? I don't know. Yeah, we've already so, talked about it. Yeah. I mean, I think we've already established that none of the narrative developments or choices in this film make any sense whatsoever. So in a way, you'd expect that to just have been set up as the norm for this particular film. And yet, 
when the literal professional race car driver does not drive the car, but rather sits in the passenger seat, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That's really, of all the things that don't make sense in this film, which are plentiful and repeated and overwhelming, that's really the only one that bothered me the most. Partly because, like, even though I know it's a softcore porn that objectifies women, there are female characters in this movie that are, you know, powerful and competent, such as... Um, the cop, the sexy lady cop, she's a great cop. And the, um, you know, the mastermind, which we find out at the end is is the mastermind. So it's not like the film is shying away from giving women roles of, you know, agency and types of characters that are, you know, traditionally associated with masculinity. So like, make her get her let her drive the car, let her drive the damn car. She's a race car driver. It upset me so much. <laughs> just let just let her drive the car. <laughs> Oh, I completely agree. And then, like the so, uh, uh, the the beefcakes basically force like a a heli heli pilot to uh, helicopter them over to uh, the vehicle. And like while Cody's driving, June Knockers is just like trying to get him to have sex, like pulling out her breasts. I'm like, <laughs> you've relegated this poor skilled driver to the passenger seat, and now you've written her to just try to have sex with Cody while he's pursuing killers. Or uh, fleeing killers, not pursuing. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you have anything else, Mitch, before we get back into this? Or are you just like, finish this? <laughs> no, uh, this scene, I think, for me, stands out as like the... If you had to boil this movie down to just one scene to like, you know, sort of show what you're going to be in for, I think this is the perfect one because you've got him driving this race car with the race car driver uh, sitting shotgun, being chased by a helicopter uh, seemingly for no reason. She's taking out her breasts and trying to have sex with him. And in the helicopter, you know, they're like, oh, shoot him, shoot him. It's like, oh, I can't see anything except for tits. Uh, I think it's just, <laughs> I think this is the perfect summation of the movie as a whole. Uh, yeah, so, I can't yeah. see anything except for tits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the be- that's that's my review of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty. I think you really nailed nailed it on the head there, Mitch. Oh my god! Yeah, and like the fact that this like only exists as the second scene, like the the racetrack only is presented in the second scene to establish that as a like future set piece for this scene which is like the worst set piece it doesn't make any sense uh like also why is there like a helicopter at the racetrack like there's like is that a normal thing i don't know because i'm like not into racing so it, it could be a very reasonable thing to have but in my opinion i'm just like i don't understand any of the mechanics of what's going on here um yeah um but that but it is what's happening uh, so basically Cody and the beefcakes collide, uh, the helicopter ends up kind of like landing in front of their, their race car. Cody just like keeps driving and hits the, the assailant whose ear he had blown off previously. He flies up into the air. He dis- effectively disappears from the movie at this point. I don't know if he is just like full dead or like what's going on, but he, he's removed from this movie, uh, at this point. And we have the two major beefcakes uh, that pursue him into the desert. Um, he manages to like, dispatch them pretty easily. June uh, flashes her breasts to distract them. And and Cody shoots his gun. Uh, it, 
it's it's all very uh i don't know uh very odd but uh anyways without a vehicle uh cody and june hitchhike back uh into town on a family's rv uh and if you want to put a face to the director of this movie he's in fact the driver of the caravan is you know andy sedaris so so mitch if you had to picture the director of this film and assign you know one of i I said one of the actors uh is in fact andy sedaris uh would you have immediately picked the caravan driver uh i had no idea that that in fact was the director of the movie uh no probably not i mean I think he's perfect. That, like, it, it, <laughs> I'm Heather, struggling to even remember what he looks like, to be honest with you. Uh, he looks like like the the slovenly chief of police in like every movie. Uh, Yovana, if 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 you had to picture the director, would would he coincide with the caravan driver? Uh, the image of the caravan driver. I don't even know. I don't know what a man who makes films like that <laughs> looks like. I, he does look kind of lecherous and uh, middle-aged and, you know, I I don't know. Yes, maybe, but yeah, it could have been anybody. I think it's he's perfect, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Stand by it. Uh, anyways, uh, so having made it back to town, Cody comes guns blazing into Jonathan Harper's computer business dance club like i don't understand what's going on like they're treating it like it's a club but it's computer computer business dance club is a perfectly normal thing to have i don't know why you're acting so surprised i guess like diversification is a good thing for a business uh it makes you less susceptible to uh a, a sector's downturn so having that right. as a dance club could That's be a right. valuable business venture. portfolio uh at this point cops show up and cody uh, accuses liza of the murder um cody proceeds to show the photograph of shane's attacker uh against liza uh he basically shoves her face into a stocking and it's like a you know it, it's clearly the same person at this point and it's case closed but it's not it's not oh god it's not it's like it's it's ongoing so at this point, after thinking the case is closed and Liza is, in fact, the the murderer, uh, Cody again meets the Buffingtons. Uh, this time, Cody Abilene finally succeeds, having strapped a rocket engine to his car, uh, and he manages to beat Bobo Buffington, uh, only to uh, call the phone text operator again to confirm she's made all of the arrangements for everybody to meet on his boat for an epic reveal. Uh, why he keeps calling this poor woman is beyond me, but uh, now on the boat, Cody is met by the Chamberlains and the detectives where he reveals Liza. Uh, he then explains how he's arrived at Liza's acquittal. Uh, he notices the assailants were, the assailant was right-handed, but Liza is in fact left-handed. Moreover, the assailant is taller than Liza. Uh, in fact, the real killer is none other than Contessa Luciana, who has skipped town. None of this makes sense. There's some convoluted explanation as to why Contessa Luciana is innocent, but I don't have the energy to try and explain it. Uh, Doesn't matter. Yeah, fuck it. I don't yeah. care. I don't care. <laughs> Guys, I enjoyed this movie before doing this podcast, and I fucking hate it now almost, because I had to write a synopsis for this. 
and I just like it. It sucked the life out of me to try to uh, adequately present what the what what the general flow of this movie because it, it's it again it's like loosely connected porn setups. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, something interesting to note is that this movie is actually a remake of Andy Sedaris's first feature, Stacy, which was filmed in 1973, which you think the, uh, like, it's 12 years. This would have given him ample time to approve upon his craft, uh, you know, take his original film, mold it into something that's truly unique and original. Uh, but instead, we have this film. Uh, which is still considered to be the most accomplished movie Andy Sedaris has ever made. Uh, Any thoughts, guys? Mitch? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, yeah, if this is his his best output, uh, I'm hoping that you don't uh, choose another one of his films for this podcast. Uh, No more Andy Sedaris. Yes. There there will be no more Andy Sedaris. Yeah. Um, uh i i don't think so the reason i also picked this movie is because like uh obviously like good bad movies are are generally enjoyable like you know we watched split second as our first film that is a like in my opinion a enjoyable good bad film right uh i feel like because this is more competent it becomes less fun than some of his other output like hard ticket to hawaii which is just like uh, it, it's hard to understand how there are multiple people involved in pre-production to say like, yes, this is the project we're doing. We're going to make hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> like the, that movie is like so much worse than this. So I was like, okay, maybe this will be less fun and therefore less enjoyable for Mitch. And that makes it an, an interesting film to, right. to kind of explore because it's, it's less good, bad if that makes sense, uh, in, in more to soft porn. <laughs> soft yeah. porn. And I think that that's why it, it doesn't work for me as a good, bad movie, because with split second, like you could tell that they were trying and like, there was something fun to be had with that movie. Like um, this just feels like, you know, a guy made it because he wanted to see a bunch of tits. Um, and like oh well we'll throw in you know yeah a bunch of convoluted nonsense about russians and spies but like really it's just about tits and basically being softcore porn and that's not really what i look for in movies i mean certainly can appreciate uh you know a, a nice body whether it be the you know the ripped men in the movie or the the naked women, but, uh, you know, for an hour and 45 minutes. It's not, it's not minutes, your primary purpose for going no. to the cinema. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. So, yeah, no, it, did, it wasn't uh, wasn't for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the other re- reason I, I picked it as, like, a, a, a good subject for this podcast uh, was because, like, you know, like so, like, so bad it's good movies generally hinge on comedic value and comedies are just, like, so notoriously divisive. I was like, well, like, maybe, like, that will, you know, play and uh, work in my favor. Uh, and I guess it clearly did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some funny reviews uh for this um so all movie guide referred to this as a routine erotic spy tale which uh routine like, <laughs> like, what movies are you watching 
<laughs> I don't understand what's what's routine about this. Uh, Video Movie Guy 2001 rated the movie with a single turkey. Amazed that the movie only got an R rating. So this is clearly soft. <laughs> agreed. Uh, okay, so uh, at this point, we are getting down to uh, Mitch. Your your anything you'd like to say about this movie, uh, as well as what works and doesn't work for you if anything at all works for you. Yeah. I, so I think it started out and I thought this could be a good, bad movie. Like, you know, driving up to the shooting range in the DeLorean, he's got like a, like a cow skin portion of the briefcase, not even the whole briefcase, but just part of it is like cow skin and just like some goofy stuff. I'm like, okay, like this could be, you know, this is just ridiculous and fun, but then it sort of just slowly went, you know, into the, okay, this is just, softcore porn territory and i felt like there were there was less to be enjoyed like less humorous stuff like they tried to make some jokes that just didn't really work and i think that the the buffingtons uh are potentially an example of something to you know that they were trying to use as you know to add some humor in there um but like not at all (laughs) my brand of humor uh so very little worked for me in this movie, unfortunately. And like, I get like, I guess to Giovanna's point earlier, the, you know, the primary conceit of the movie is here's a bunch of tits. Um, yep. <laughs> and it, and it works and, you know, tits are great, but uh, you know, like I said, an hour and 45 minutes of just like, you know, nonsense to, you know, get to the next scene of, you know, here's another woman taking her clothes off. It's like, okay, like I get it. But like, if I, this was really what I was looking for, you know, I've got the internet. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go to Tubi. Yeah. The, the ads with, were actually kind of a nice reprieve uh, at times. Yeah. I, I, I also enjoy the, <laughs> the ad breaks for this movie. Um, yeah. I don't. This movie broke me, guys. It's a powerful film. <laughs> yeah. It really drains the spirit in many ways. Um, uh. <laughs> yeah, I really, really, really disliked it. I and you know I'm pro porn. I'm pro sex work. I'm a sex positive person. So like, God bless the titties. But yeah, like Mitch said, I have the internet if I want if I want to see boobs, right? So. <laughs> I just thought it was a huge waste of my time. I thought it made no sense. I thought it was really, really poorly acted, like I said at the start, even more poorly acted than I expected it to be, which was already poor. So you could say it really outdid itself (laughs) in some ways. Um, And too long. (laughs) Yeah, too long, just stupid, ridiculous, just laughable, and uh, just a complete huge trash heap and a waste of my time so thanks a lot Stefan <laughs> my pleasure guys and, you know I was telling you that I was, I was like I think I'm just like spitefully picking this movie at this point to just like you know like I've, I've failed so miserably so far that like I just need to succeed and in doing so I managed to just like you know I, I dragged myself to hell along with uh, you two <laughs> Oh, you dragged us all to hell. We are we are fully in hell. Thanks. Yeah. Rather than accepting that, I should just change the entire title of the podcast to like Stefan gently nudges Mitch to heaven with with all of the other selections. I mean, like I guess like Wild at Heart notwithstanding, but the the others were were enjoyed. 
And I was like so desperate to find something that, you know, you would definitively be like, this is fucking garbage. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad I, I got there. I'm not glad I, I also feel the exact same about this movie, which I now own. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. I bet there's some great special features on that. Blu-ray, though. You know, when I was trying to do like, uh, by the way, like doing this synopsis was actually like zero fun for this, this episode. Like I sat, I, I told both of you that I like, I sat down on Sunday evening to, to try to do it and got 20 minutes in. It was like, like, I can't fucking make sense of this movie. I don't understand like what I'm supposed to be writing down to, to like help like somebody who hasn't seen this movie to like shepherd them through this experience. And I just like stopped. And I was like, this, uh, I, like, I, I made a mistake. Like, this this is not going to go well. Um, and here we are. Um, <laughs> so with that said, Mitch, uh, I, I believe you have some some awards to uh, oh, dole yeah. out. Yeah, these so were... Uh... Let's, let's, let's start nice <laughs> this time. Uh, we'll go with most enjoyed scene. Uh, so for my most enjoyed scene, I actually chose the scene of Stuart changing into uh his drag attire in the limo amazing and then entering yeah. the great selection yeah. i think that uh we sort of discussed it earlier but um one yes he looks amazing two i thought it was funny how little he gave a shit about being blackmailed while he was uh putting on his attire and then we also mentioned uh how we were pleasantly surprised with uh cody's reaction to uh him dressing in drag so for me, that uh, that's my favorite scene in the film, certainly. All right. Uh, and now to continue that strain of like positivity, uh, what's your most enjoyed performance? Uh, this one was tough. Uh, I went with no uh, <laughs> I went with Sybil Danning as Contessa Luciana. She's pretty good. Yeah, I felt like you know if anyone in the film was a a mastermind behind some evil operation uh, she seemed to be the one that could pull it off maybe like, yeah i know. agree with that she really owned it i think yeah um and i think compared to the other actors she she stood out as a relatively somewhat decent performer let's put it yes. that way i would say that also like the the person who played shane did a pretty good job like that's a, a not a great character and i was like that person adequately communicates uh disgustingness um but yeah i don't, I, I don't I think they were as good as uh civil danning either so uh i'm pretty i think it's a pretty good selection uh now let's get to the more reasonable category least favorite scene uh so we all know my disdain for the buffingtons uh so <laughs> my, i put my least favorite scene as the i believe it's the second buffington uh chase where they moon him with their signs and on their ass um, that they've had on for so long <laughs> yes uh because at that point like the third buffington chase i was already like tuned out of the movie essentially but the first time they came around i thought it was just incredibly stupid and pointless and hated it and then they they came around for a second time and this one just added to the stupidity so yeah the that was my least. And the third scene. one finally worked for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like now I know why they're here. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So least favorite performance now. Yeah, this one 
I mean, there was certainly plenty of uh, of bad ones. Uh, I don't even know what is her name. Uh, I went with the, uh, I think it, it's Liza Chamberlain. The, um, the one who's selling the, the, the brunette. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it could have gone to any number of people, but, uh, but yes, the, the, a lot of the line deliveries uh, were incredibly just yeah, hers. Latin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hers are rough. Yeah. So uh, not a lot of well, great like, performers in the movie, but uh, I had, had to pick one. Yeah. Like, like even when the money's exchanged, that's, that's by far the worst, the worst line delivery. Yeah. There's like another scene uh, where like the, the two people are, sh- uh, the two women are showering the first time they, uh, they show up on Cody's boat. And there's like some, like the person like directly looks into the camera. Like, twice. <laughs> yeah. like there's, there's some awful like, acting, but like, you still want me to be yeah. just like rubbing my breasts. Is that we're still doing this? Okay. I'll She's keep going. looking for direction. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe it's not her fault. Uh, Okay, so guys, that's Malibu Express. Um, that was painful. I'm in pain. Um, <laughs> oh wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Before before we officially put a stake in Malibu Express, Mitch, would you recommend this movie? Oh God, absolutely not. <laughs> not All right, not sweet. a chance. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. Mitch does not <laughs> recommend Malibu Express. <laughs> Now we're properly finished with Malibu Express. Um, so I, ha- I have two options for you guys. And, you know, we'll, we'll treat this as a uh, democracy. Um, I, I have two options for our sixth proper episode. Uh, the first option is I could give you a few movies to select from to basically opt in as as the next Drag Mitch to Hell. Or we could do... Uh, uh, we all ascend to heaven and pick a movie we all want to watch uh, to help us recover from this this miserable... <laughs> like an antidote? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, like I'm, I'm cool with either. I just want to present the option uh, and this will stay in the podcast. So, you know, pick one. I'll let, I'll let Mitch say his preference first because after all, the podcast is uh, drag Mitch to help. So, <laughs> so please, please let us know what you think and then I'll, I'll chime in with my secondary opinion. All right. I think, um, I think I'd go with if you want to present a couple of more options for dragging Mitch to, to hell. Um, as much as, you know, we could use uh, something better than this. That's the that's the whole intent of the, the show, right? Uh, well, hopefully at least, you know, that something you enjoy that I won't. Um, but I think we're, we're a little early for trying to uh, to ascend to heaven here. I think we got to punish, at least punish me a little bit more before we move into uh, watching something good that we all want to enjoy. That's my thought. Yvanna? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think we, despite what we think about Malibu Express, I don't think we've hit the true bottom of the barrel yet. So I think we should, <laughs> oh, I think we should keep trying and, uh, and save the, the heavenly episode for a time when we're really desperate. So okay. uh, yeah, hit us with your choices. Okay, so I have, I have a, a few options here. Um, so I'm not just going to reveal all the cards in my hand, all the movies that I'm going to put Mitch through. So we're going to skip ahead to our selection for the next episode. Let's do Greener Grass and then we can explore Cherry Falls. How okay, that? sounds good. Sounds great to me. All right, cool, guys. So that's our, our, our fifth episode. Yes, well, our fifth episode. It was a real doozy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know what to inside. say. I'm just kind of like, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs>
Oh man, alright, that's it.